Welcome to Women in Leadership Talk, where you'll hear from successful women who are empowering other women with their stories of adversity, resiliency, and success. And here is your host, Vicki Bradley, founder and CEO of Women in Leadership Empowered. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Women in Leadership Talk podcast. We are super excited to have our audience here today, and we have a very special guest, Miss Laura Terrell. Laura, thanks for joining us today, all the way from Atlanta. Thank you so much, Vicki. It's a pleasure to be with you. Well, we're thrilled to have you, and I know our audience is going to learn lots of great things from you today. So let me let me give you a little background on Laura and what she's done. She, We have so much to cover today. <laughs> she has an extensive background. Uh, currently, she is an executive coach with 25 years of experience in both uh, legal and as a business leader. She offers an insider's perspective for business, legal, and corporate professionals working to help her clients to improve and achieve success in their working lives. But prior to coaching, and this is so fascinating, Laura was a special assistant to the president at the White House. She's been a senior level appointee at the U.S. Department of Justice, an equity partner in two large global law firms, and in-house counsel at a publicly traded company. She's held and led many teams uh, across multiple countries, serving as top advisors to many Fortune 500 and FTSC 100 companies, and she believes in partnering with her clients and helping them to reach their goals and build confidence in their careers. And so today we're going to get to learn lots about Laura. Um, I also read that she's a book junkie. Can't pass up a good bookstore. I'm with you on that, Laura. And I love the touch and the feel and the smell of a book. I'm not a not a Kindle user. And also, I read that you are a foodie and love to travel. So we're going to be excited to learn more about you and how that how you've incorporated all those things into your busy life. So welcome and thanks for joining us today. Thank you again. It's really fun to talk to you. And I'm happy to talk about books. That's one of my favorite topics. Awesome. Awesome. So what's your top book right now? What are you what are you reading today? The best book I have recently read was a biography of Justice Sandra Day O'Connor, who uh, was the first female justice on the U.S. Supreme Court. Yeah. And it's a great biography. It's called First because she was the first on mm-hmm. the court. And I just found it a really insightful read, not just about her judicial philosophy, which as a lawyer, I know a fair amount about, but I loved reading about her background and really understanding how much she was influenced by her childhood and her ties and her heritage in the American West. She was from Arizona and it's just, it's a great read. I really recommend it to anyone. Okay. That's going on my list. (laughs) Christmas ideas. I love it. I love it. So let's get into your background, Laura. Like you've done so many different things and I just would love to hear your story of, you know, who you are and and how you've navigated, you know, through all of these um, global organizations you've worked for. You've been in the White House and now executive coaching, helping others, you know, to really achieve their, their optimal potential. Well, I feel really fortunate to have had some terrific experiences. I will start by saying I did not set out necessarily to do the things I have done as a lawyer and business advisor. I had maybe some different ideas when I was thinking about what I wanted to do post-university. I was very interested in working in a policy role 
in government. I'm originally from the Washington, D.C., Mid-Atlantic, Northeast area and of the United States. And I was really intrigued by finding a way to be involved with the things that I saw as really exciting and interesting that come out of a policymaking and enforcement perspective in Washington. I started out out of law school in a smaller federal regulatory agency that is focused on financial enforcement. I did not have a background in this, but I really enjoyed learning about financial markets, about different uh, regulatory structures, about the interplay with markets. And it led me to a broader career in investigations, white collar, financial enforcement. And I've worked on both the government side and in private practice. And one of the things I would say is I trace back a lot of my interest in my work to being willing to try something I had never tried before. The reason I chose the agency I worked at was there was just a lot of opportunity for young lawyers that you could stand up in court, you could do really interesting things that otherwise you might have to wait a few years in your career to get started with. And I really credit that with giving me a perspective about how important it is to seize opportunities when you get them and to not shy away from something because it's not unfamiliar or you haven't done it before, or you're not sure if you have the right tools or the right skills or the right mechanisms to do it. So I I found that incredibly powerful early in my career that led me to opportunities as you were sharing with the White House, with the Department of Justice. Um, It led me in private practice to work all over the world. I love to travel. I've always loved to travel. And I was the person who someone would say, hey, how do you feel about going to West Africa to work for a client? And I would think I've never been to West Africa. I don't know anything about it. Or how do you feel about going to China or Malaysia? I've never been to China or Malaysia. But I took the view that you could really broaden your own skill set and grow your own development by showing up, being willing to talk to and work with and learn from the local professionals that you were working with and being diligent to go back and continually seek from them their input, their advice, show you, show them that you were willing to learn. You were not there to dictate or you were not there to Uh, be lazy and expect them to do the work for you. I joke that in one very um, challenging uh, developing country that I worked in, the first time I showed up, I think the reaction was, what are you doing here? Why would they send you? The second time I came, it was, oh, you came back. And the third time it was, all right, let's have you over to dinner and let's get to know you a little bit more. And I and I think that was just really transformative in, in my career was to be able to seize those moments. That's amazing. So I heard a, a several things there. I just want to highlight um, because so important, like, first of all, just your comment about that wasn't what you planned in your career and how, you know, oftentimes we think that the course has to be completely laid out. And because you were so open to possibilities and opportunities it allowed you then to participate in all of these great opportunities at home and globally, um, which is amazing. The other thing I, I heard you say is really seize the day, seize the moment. Don't have to tick off all the boxes and make sure that you can do that. So those are two, I think, really powerful 
messages um, that you're, you've come out of the gate sharing. <laughs> so thank you for that. I, I find them things that also resonate when I talk with my clients. I'm now an executive coach. And when I talk with clients about things that are on their minds, often they're in the middle of making a transition or trying to figure out what their next step or their next transition might be professionally. And there is often a concern or a fear or a trepidation about trying something, whether that's moving towards a second career, whether that's moving from public sector to private sector, moving from a real business advisory role to more of a policy capacity. And I always ask people to contemplate what that opportunity might look like, what success in that opportunity might look like. And often when people do that, they really get a sense of how much they want something and how much they are willing to give it a shot. Um, I've also often asked myself, what's the worst thing that can happen if you don't (laughs) succeed at something? I've always felt that I had enough skills to go back and do something else. I can find another job. I can do something different. Um, I think everyone's had failures and setbacks in their careers. And most people move past those by dint of being able to see that there are other places, spaces, and opportunities for them. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and taking those failures and being able to turn that around and look at what did you learn from it? How did this help you grow as an individual? And if you're going to fail, fail fast, right? Um, That's such an important piece. But I love what you just shared there because that's a lot about confidence, right? And having that confidence to you know, recognize it and then go for it. And oftentimes, as you said, that fear can hold us back because, you know, it, we, we tend to go to the what if negative instead of what are the possibilities. Um, so I love, I love what you've shared there. So what are some of the unique challenges that, that you've seen that women in particular face or people of color are facing, um, you know, as, as they're navigating their careers? You know, I think there are challenges for all working professionals uh, in in different stages, in different places. I think for women and professionals of color, I think often the number one is waiting for someone to ask them Mm -hmm. if they are ready to be promoted, work on a team, take on uh, an opportunity or a project that comes along. And there's a hesitancy to speak up because you're not sure how to access those opportunities. You're not sure how to get in the room with everyone else. You're not sure how to be at the table. And one of the things I share with clients and I've shared with colleagues over the years is tell people you want to be in the room, say, I want to show up. Some of the most amazing conversations I've had have been with people that have come into my office at different points in my career and said, hey, can I sit down and talk to you about where I'm going and what I'd like to do next in this organization? Can I tell you that I'm really aiming for promotion this year and I'd like to get your input on how I can get there. And I'd like to be in a leadership role and I can think of these three ways I could do that. Do you have reactions to that? How do I get in that room? But I think that hesitancy sometimes is fear of rejection or feeling like an outsider in coming into those spaces. And I'll, I'll give you just you know a couple of examples. If there are uh, 
teams that are friendly outside of work. Maybe everybody golfs together on the weekend, or maybe everybody went to the same school or has some kind of other connection. People can feel outside that way as well, sure. based on Absolutely. race or gender, or just feeling that they're not part of this club. Mm-hmm. And I encourage clients to say, I'm going to be in that room anyway, because I have something to contribute. I was hired because I have skills. I'm advancing because I have talent. And I want to be in the room both to learn from other people, but also to speak up and not to be intimidated just because someone is um, already part of a group that you don't feel part of. You put yourself in that group and you make sure that you speak and act and participate and lead in that capacity. Yeah. Well, I think that's a key key point you just made there. It's like leading leading yourself in that capacity. Um, and, and that can be challenging, especially when you're trying to navigate all the different nuances of corporate cultures, right? Um, and you know you you don't want to be seen as uh, you know, bulldozing, <laughs> but you also do have to advocate for yourself and and speak up because people can't read your mind. It, it, that's such an important piece that, you know, how we express ourselves, how we um, ensure that others know we want to be promoted is absolutely critical because if you're waiting, it might not happen. And do you want to be sitting in that same role, you know, five years from now? And I think a lot of very successful people start out in their careers, maybe coming from places where they've had great achievement, maybe they've been top of their class at university, maybe they have been um, a superstar intern in the company. And they've now landed this role. I talk with a lot of young professionals about this. And they think, if I just keep doing my work, I'll get an A. I did. I got an A in school. I got a great grade. I was honor society. I was valedictorian, whatever. And I'm doing great work here and nobody's telling me I'm not doing great work. My reviews are good. That's not enough in a corporate or professional environment. You have to really be seeking feedback. You have to be asking for the details behind your reviews to figure out what's going on in your career. How can you advance? If you're being told, you know, you need to take on more responsibility. Okay. Ask what that means. What do you expect from me in terms of responsibility? What are the opportunities for me? to gain responsibility, but sitting passively is something that is very detrimental and not speaking up and just assuming somebody will one day tap you on the shoulder and say, hey, it's time. You get to be vice president now, or you get to be a partner in this law firm. That's just not the way things work. And I work with a lot of clients to really encourage them to put themselves and push themselves out there and not to to wait for someone to tell them that they're good enough. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's so important. And as you were saying that, what came to me, and I hear this often, is, oh, that's easy for people that are extroverts. But what about us introverts? Like, introverts are struggling to get their voices heard. And so what would be your thoughts, Laura? Like, if you're not comfortable with that, if, if you're super smart, um, you've been top of the class, but you really are an introvert and you're struggling to, you know, to make yourself known or to express yourself. What would you say to those people? A lot of it is practice. I just read the most fascinating anecdote about Queen Elizabeth, who was very shy as a child Mm -hmm. and did not expect, of course, to be elevated into her role as monarch in the United Kingdom. And 
one of the things she was told very early on when it was clear that she was going to be the heir to the throne after her father was that she needed to walk into a room like she owned it. She needed to walk confidently. She needed to walk briskly, not hang back and wait for others to invite her in or hang back out of deference. And she said that that was very difficult for her and she had to practice that. And it took time, but over the course of her many years in, in, in service to her country, she really perfected the art of walking into a room without appearing arrogant, but also appearing that she was in command. And I think that's such a fascinating way of thinking that somebody who was very much an introvert, very shy, had to practice this. And the same is true for other aspects of leadership or participation in a business environment. I'm an introvert myself in many respects by nature. One of the things I learned to do early on in my career was when I needed to have a tough conversation or I was exploring something new, I'd write notes to myself. I'd put down note cards. I would practice what I was going to say. I would think about it to the point where I could put the words out there without feeling awkward, where I could give an argument for why I wanted to be promoted or why I wanted to be assigned to a certain team or to ask a difficult question. You know, why wasn't my bonus at this level? Why wasn't it as high as I thought it would be? Can you give me some feedback on that? Those are tough conversations to have. So I would write them down and practice them. Nice. Nice. And it's so, so I love that. And I'm a big believer in that myself. Um, But it's fascinating how many people don't, because we have this preconceived notion that, you know, once we get out of school, then we should know everything (laughs) and we don't have to practice. And the reality is we have to practice our whole lives. Right. And, you know, modeling seeing somebody who you see as, as that model of whatever leadership or has the poise and the grace, Queen Elizabeth is a great example. Um, how can you model those same types of behaviors and where it's authentic for you? Not that you're copying, but how do you make that more authentic for you? And I think people, people oftentimes struggle with that. Like I, I know for myself, I have a lot of clients that will say, you know, Vicki, I'm I'm just not good at networking. I'm an introvert and I'm not comfortable networking. And so trying to find what does make you comfortable. Is it just meeting one person? Then that's still networking, right? It's the baby steps to your point. So it's how, how do you continue to push yourself um, to be better? And to your point, practicing that, consistently practicing. I think the point you make about being authentic is so important and feeling comfortable. There's not one way to have a conversation about why isn't my bonus larger or how can I work towards this promotion? Different people are going to approach that differently. What you have to do is research and find a way that's effective for you. And maybe that is having that conversation face-to-face. Maybe it's first having part of the conversation on the phone. I'd like to talk to you about this. I remember when I was negotiating uh, compensation for for a job at one point in my career, I was really nervous to have that conversation face to face, and so I broke it out. I knew what I wanted to say as part of the initial phone conversation. I wanted to set the stage. I'd like to meet with you. I really appreciate the offer. I think we're close on compensation, but I'd like to sit down with you, talk to you why I'm excited, what I think I can do, and where I think the compensation needs to be set in accordance with that. 
I was so nervous to deliver that, but it was a little bit easier for me over the phone than it was to do it all in person at once. And I think that that was authentic for me. It felt more comfortable for me. There are other people who will tell you, I'm just going to have the conversation in person, or I'm going to walk in, or I'm going to write a memo, and it's going to be, you need to find what works within the culture of where you're working, but also what is what is very authentic for you. I think in terms of modeling that, I was so fortunate. I had mentors, supervisors, colleagues who would say things to me when I was a junior professional, junior attorney in my law firm, for example. And I would come to a meeting and I would see a whole bunch of people coming in the room. And I thought, I'm one of the more junior people here. I'll sit in the chairs along the wall rather than the Mm -hmm. chairs at the table. And I was fortunate that I had colleagues and mentors, um, male, female, people of color, people of all backgrounds that would say to me, no, Laura, you need to sit at the table. Well, there's not enough space. There's enough space for you. Other people that come in late can sit back there. And and that kind of modeling, I think, is incredibly important to people to see. Yeah. And and what message does it send? Like that's the big question, right? And so being being aware of what message it sends when we sit at the back of the room or to the side of the table. So really pushing yourself to come to the table and, and be part of instead of being outside looking in. That's a that's a such an important one. And I see that one as well. Or women in particular, where they'll come into the meeting and they've got their notepad and their pen and they're like taking notes and they, they be, they become perceived as the secretary instead of being part of that contribution and that conversation. So I have a wonderful friend and fellow attorney who I think extraordinarily highly of, who told me that he, he's, he's male. And over the years when he has had female associates, in his law firm, he's seen them immediately jump when somebody says, oh, could you get a couple of notepads for us? Or could you ask somebody to bring in the coffee? Or do you know if lunch is ready yet? He's seen them jump to go to the door to do this or pick up that. He said, the answer is, he said, you need to pick up the phone there in the conference room, call your assistant and say, can you check on this for me? He said, it doesn't dismiss somebody who's asking you for assistance or maybe pointing to you, but it also establishes that you are not the person that is the most, not just the most junior in the room, but also the person who is responsible for doing work that is not within their remit. Yeah. A young associate in a law firm, to be candid, isn't paid for that work. They're paid to bill, they're paid to write memos, they're paid to do other things, and it's not cost-effective for them. And his point was, you have to assert yourself, your value, and what you are worth is important to put that forward. You need to define the realm and you, you're working in, you need to define your role. And when you do that and you call an assistant or you call somebody in the lunchroom or whatever and say, is this ready? Can you bring it forward? You're not leaving the meeting. You're not going outside. You're staying in the room. And he thought that was incredibly important to teach his younger associates. Uh, I can't agree more. Like that is such an important piece. And we do it naturally, like because we, we we do it from a place of helping and, and serving and and but being especially for women in particular, being very aware of how that comes across. Uh, and that translates into our home lives, too. Right. Like you think about holidays. <laughs> Right. Who's in the kitchen? Who's who's doing the cooking and the cleaning? And um, it, it's fascinating how we do those things. And so it's being highly aware and, and making it more of a partnership, which is what sounds like he was trying to do, is there's that 
equality, um, you know, and, and that happens in many different ways. So I'm just, I'm curious, I know we're getting close on our time here, but there's so many more questions I have that I want to ask. What were some of the, what were some of the biggest lessons you learned when you were in the White House? Oh gosh. I mean, there are so many, I think, um, one of the things you learn in, a, in an organization like that is, is if you don't, you've got a problem, but you definitely need to learn humility. I think there are people that say, oh, I work here. I'm the most important person in the world. I speak for you know, the president and people need to listen to me. No, you don't. No, not necessarily. And you need to be careful about how you use what is perceived as authority. And you need to use it in a way that is effective and respectful and reflects the values. I was really fortunate. I worked in a White House where that was really emphasized daily, that it was not about the individual. It was about the projects we were working on. It was about the policies we're moving towards. I think I learned a lot about having humility. Mm -hmm. And I don't mean in a sense that you marginalize yourself or you um, stand in the back, but that you really work to meet a goal that's set by somebody else, the president. You're really working towards somebody else's goal. You're trying to fulfill that. And you're trying to work in a collaborative and a team atmosphere. I think sometimes that gets lost in the environments we work in, that there's a lot of fulfillment and there's a lot of joy in working with other people, not caring as much who gets the credit, but making sure the job is being done. I think a corollary to that is you also learn about how to promote yourself without bragging. You need to learn to put yourself forward. You need to learn to um, share with people what you can do, what your leadership skills are, what your capabilities are. And if you just become a wallflower, you take the humility thing too far, you're not doing that. But if you start bragging about yourself, everybody says, I'm so tired of hearing how great Laura thinks she is. (laughs) Instead of saying to somebody, you know, I really ought to be running that policy committee. A different way of putting that is, you know, I have a lot of background on this particular policy issue and I've got some ideas. Um, Would it be possible for me to join or sit in or could I share with you some of the things that I think I can bring to the table here? There's a way to promote yourself without putting yourself in an arrogant position. And that was another great lesson there. I love it. That's so awesome. And, and such a, such important lessons to learn. Um, and, and that goes through people who've been in the working world for a long time, but also for our next generation of leaders that are coming in, understanding how to balance the humility aspect and, and, and your assertiveness, um, because it's trying to figure out what works and, and culture does play a big role in that and, and how you navigate those cultures. Um, those are great, great lessons. So just to start to wrap us up here, what would be two things that you would really want to share with our audience that they could walk away with today that they could start to implement? So we've talked about my real conviction that seizing opportunities when they come your way is important. I would say a corollary to that is you need to look for those opportunities. Mm-hmm. Again, part of not being passive is looking around you and saying, you know, I'm in a division that's not really doing what the work is that I think that I'm best suited for. How do I get myself an opportunity to maybe pivot to a different different division 
Or how do I change my legal practice when I'm not really enthusiastic about what I'm doing, but I see I have some skills that I could pour it into another area. You have to look for the opportunity. You have to look for what might be out there and be really open to different things. So I think that's um, one key thing I would say. The other is I often find that people who are really smart and really talented are reluctant to seek out information. They assume they know what it takes to get promoted. They assume that they can't move in a different direction in the company. They assume they wouldn't get hired by a different company or that this opportunity is too senior for them somewhere else. Those assumptions hold us back. Instead, asking, seeking information. You want a job with a different company? You find somebody like Vicki Bradley, if you're interested in retail and say, here's where I am. And I'd like to move into this sector. Let me tell you what I do. Let me tell you what my skills are. Can you give me some feedback on whether that's something that's possible for me or how I might change my approach? You've got to solicit information and you've got to access resources. But I see a lot of people that get stuck by assuming that they know that something is or is not possible. And that's a big part of what I work through with clients is really trying to dig into what do you know? What do you maybe not know? What do you think you know that's not correct? And how do we get you to knowing more that will help you? Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Yes. Because if you don't ask, you don't get, right? So it's really putting yourself out there and and finding the opportunities. That's awesome, Laura. Thank you. Thank you so much. Wow. What a great conversation. And we could probably carry on for like another hour. (laughs) Is there still We'll come back and talk about books another time. Yes, exactly. Exactly. I love it. And I'm, I'm going to pick up the book. I wrote it down. Um, so I'm going to have to go pick up first and make sure that I, I uh, get to, you know, just bury myself in that. That might be my holiday reading. Good for <laughs> anyway, you. I am thrilled to have you here today. And yes, you may have to come back on and share with us again. Um, there's just so much to unpack. And, and, you know, we didn't even get a chance to really talk about your global travels and, you know, all the different countries that you worked in, in, in detail. So we'll save that for the next, the next podcast. But I want to thank you for joining us. And I want to thank our audience for joining us. We know you have a choice as to what podcast you listen to. And we're super grateful that, you know, you've put us in the top 30 women in leadership podcast. And so we're grateful to you for listening and, you know, feel free to reach out and let us know top that would interest you that you'd like to learn more about or hear more about. And so thanks for joining us. And we hope to see you the next time we're together. Laura, thank you again. So grateful to have you with us today and keep, you know, keep doing what you're doing and and imparting your wisdom and experiences with, with others and uh, helping them to, you know, find their, find their, their potential and the place they really want to be. So thank you for being with us. Vicki, thank you so much. I'm a big fan of the podcast. You have some terrific guests on, many of whom I'd like to meet or interview. That would be awesome. But thank you so much for your time and for the work you do. Thank you. Okay, take care, everyone. We'll see you next time. Thank you for joining us for Will Talk, sponsored by Women in Leadership Empowered. To learn more about our programs, please visit www.willempowered.com. We look forward to seeing you in our community. 